0: See if you can spot this one.
1: What's this stuff? Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes
0: it. Hey, Mikey.
1: When a mayor has swagger, the city has swagger. When You bring life home. Don't tell the kids it's one of those nutritional cereals you've been trying to get them to eat. You're the only one who has to know. We've allowed people to beat us down so much yeah. that all we did was wallow in COVID. Yeah. That's all we did. I'm not gonna try it. Let's get making. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna try it. Let's get making. This is a city of swagger.
2: I've never seen 10,000 tapes in one store.
1: There's so much kid stuff. And I can keep them for three evenings. Now this is a video store. Ordinary video stores don't even come close to Blockbuster Video. You've just got to see it to know what we mean. Wow. Come discover the blockbuster difference. Wow. The one thing that's different from everyone that signed a letter, letter and Eric Adams, I wore a bulletproof vest for 22 years and protected the people of this city. Wow. And when you do that, then you have the right to question me on safety and public safety matters. Wow. I think I know a little something about this. Yeah. do dee do do do
2: I've never seen ten thousand tapes in one store.
1: Goody butt, chocolate chip peanut butter. Kudos, you won me over any other. Electrofiers, renola Simply nutritious, outrageously delicious. Kudos on your I love it when a plan comes together.
0: Yeah.
2: From the Winslow T broadcast booth in freezing Bushwick, Brooklyn, I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. And this is Race to the Bottom, baby! Yeah! 2022 coming in hot. In the background, as always, are my good buddies, Bremer. And McCoy, who still have not returned my email. Zach Galifianakis had a great bit where he said, He ain't gonna email you. I think he was presaging what's going on with old uh Bremer and McCoy. Why would I even wanna have him on the show? They're they're Swedish, they probably speak that kind of like uh when I was when I used to um travel back in the day you'd run into people from um like Scandinavia they'd always be like we don't have the problems that you have in your country everyone is addicted to prescription drugs we don't have these problems that's that's, <laughs> that's probably the what Bremer and McCoy would would uh want to talk about how they don't have the problems that we have right i like i'm just like uh, creating out of thin air with with these guys look they they play they play nice calming music when i was a teacher in the bronx no thonks. and i would come in the morning an hour early to get ready for the onslaught I would put on Bremer and McCoy. Maybe take uh, going back. Maybe take a clonopin. Uh, going back to the uh, per- prescription drug issue and get and uh, fight my anxiety. And uh, I will be forever grateful. And they they it's the perfect bed music. I'm surprised it didn't make Barack Obama's top ten list, right? I, I love that, um, our, our, uh, that former president is just, um, he's a tastemaker now. I don't really know what movies I want to watch until I, I see his, his list drop. And, uh, which books I've ordered, all the books on his list, got his playlist him and michelle's playlist during the summer that's basically he he tells me uh you know he can't tell me what to do with uh you know my health that's joe rogan's job but as far as um you know what i'm gonna watch and listen to (laughs) um but happy new year i hope you had a, a a good um relaxing time um And you're ready to uh, be forced back into the marketplace by uh, our capitalist (laughs) overlords. Um, Looking forward to that. Um, Today on the show, uh, we have a returning favorite. Uh, Colette is going to call in in a little bit. We're going to talk about food and how... World War II changed food. And this is gonna be a this is gonna be a, a big topic. This is kind of like almost like last year I got obsessed with how the internet had changed us, and I had to do a two-parter. I'm just starting the conversation. And and speaking of the conversation, hmm. Ah, that's my last way to one more sip. Uh that's my last sip of Winslow tea. At least for the foreseeable future, because that's all I brought here to the Winslow booth. I could, there is a big box of uh, a skid of, of Winslow over there in the corner, but I just, I don't think that I can, I need a intern. Uh, you know, usually an intern brings you coffee, but my intern brings me Winslow tea, because that's how you know. Please hashtag your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know and steep into the conversation you can also steep into the conversation in the chat which i posted on the socials uh we'd love to hear from you and especially today your ideas about um how how food has changed it's a big topic tried to do some research i think colette did some research but we're also just kind of gonna, gonna kind of brainstorm and and uh Friend of the show Scott Bunn says he also has some, um, some some experts that he could put me in touch with. So this is we're gonna blue skies today, um, on this topic. How about that mashup? Speaking of topics, that's the topic everybody wants to, uh, you know, breach. You breach a topic, right? What did we hear from? We heard the master Eric Clapton saying let's see if you can spot this one before he launched into the abomination that is the um, unplugged swing version of of Layla everybody's mad at Eric Clapton for his racist screeds when he was um, you know inebriated during the 70s at his show if you haven't heard that one you can look that up that's a nice gem his his um vax misinformation but i i lay by my uh and then people say this is this one's not as as good people say oh he stole george harrison's wife look people give get with the program you can't steal a, a a person, right? Maybe he he was a little uh conniving with the, with his relationship with George and and uh Patty. Patty Harrison got something the song something which Frank Sinatra said is the best <laughs> Lennon Mc and McCartney song ever written. And Layla, written for for her, so good on her, right? Anyway, we heard we heard that, and then we heard, um, like sardines in a. What's that name of that song? It's a Radiohead song. It's the first song on Amnesiac. And why did I do that? Because when I'm walking down the stairwell at my school, if you hit the the, the railing, it makes the a similar sound <laughs> to the um, to the drums at, in that song. That's just the kind of cool stuff that I, I do in my head. We heard from City High, but with the song What Would You Do? And why did I put that, a uh, little clip of that? Because she says, going in and out of lockdown. I ain't got a job now. But it looks like we're not going to go in, in and out of lockdown. We're out of it gotta m- make those uh ducats we heard from Mikey likes it from the 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 life serial commercial a lot of s a lot of commercials on on this mashup eight a- mashup eighty nine we heard from kudos i'm yours which uh friend of the show Dave just texted and said that was his after school snack. I think it was Dave who said that. Uh, yes I that's one of those songs that I just know um, the the theme song, even though I hadn't heard it in 20 years. Cough button. I probably shouldn't cough and use the cough button and then say cough button afterwards. Kind of defeats the purpose. At least you don't hear me cough. Schwartz cough. It's Norman Norman. We heard from uh, the Blockbuster theme song. Wow, what a difference. I've never seen 10,000 videos in one store. We heard from uh, the Hannibal from A-Team I was obsessed with the A-Team uh, which was weird looking back at it but it's a couple of years there where I watched it every day I love it when a plan comes together and we heard from our, our, uh, our new mayor Eric Adams he's had a hell of a week Weird dude, weird dude, and um, he says we've been wallowing in COVID in this city, but he's going to bring the swagger uh, back. Thanks, thanks for that, Eric. I, I we <laughs> ugh, I don't even know what to say about about Eric. Maybe maybe I'll. T- John Field, uh, comedian John Field, who helped me, uh, with Mayoral May is coming back to the show next week. Maybe we'll try to figure out what's, what's uh, going on with, with Eric. And we heard Frank Sinatra from the end of Strangers in the Night when he goes, doobie dooby doo, which <laughs> it seems like he's doing a, impression of himself
0: do be do be do 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 be do
2: do it's good stuff yeah so speaking of of who we we got uh coming we got john field next week then we got my buddy Stephen slack who who uh was one of the f- favorite voices uh during the how the internet has changed us double episode. He's going to come on to talk about U two, the band U two, which um, uh, we were texting about it last night. Is a was a favorite band of mine growing up, and and also of of Stevens. But uh, complex. It's it's kind of like a what I did with with Scott Bun. We're gonna. Uh, when we talked about the doors. We're going to try to figure out you two. Then we got Dr. Lisa, who, who won the uh, annual Achievement Award last uh, for for uh, the last calendar year. Uh, the reigning champ, she's going to come back. We'll figure out what we're going to talk about. I'm going to have Scott Bunn, the aforementioned Scott Bunn in the studio Uh, We're going to do a Mel Brooks episode. I've been talking about doing a Mel Brooks episode forever, and um, I wanted to try to do it while that that guy is is still uh, kicking, right? Didn't want to do, like, a posthumous Mel Brooks episode. So we're going to try to get it (laughs) under the wire. He's getting old. Um, Then Tom D's coming back in. Tom DeMena on the show in February. We've got... Then following show, uh, Dave and Eric are, are going to come on the show and we're going to argue about some some movies and our preconceptions about certain directors. And then, rounding out February. so I'm back up, I'm planning until February. So if you want to be on the show, talk to me about March Sadness because that's when it's going to happen. Uh, rounding out February, we got Matt Pogachnik coming back on the show. And Matt... Um, Is a is like a regional manager for Costco um, as his day job, and he was uh, tweeting about uh, supply chain issues. Yes, last night on Twitter, and I found it fascinating. And I who who better to talk to about supply chain issues than someone in Matt's situation? So I'm not saying I, I have a New year's resolution as vis-a-vis race to the bottom. I'm just going to keep keep going. Like I said last week. Let's go. Which is weird why people say let's go now. People didn't used to say that. You need the, you need a like a, a noun at the end of that. Like let's go Mets. You can't just say let's go. Listener Tim uh, agreed with me, and he said that his, his son and all of his friends say let's go all the time. We didn't say that growing up. Just a amorphous let's go. And what I said, I thought it was a transliteration from the Spanish, of vamonos, possibly. Did you guys watch CNN for New Year's? That's become a pandemic uh, New Year's tradition for my household, and um, we actually missed. Um, we saw Andy Cohen getting wasted, but uh, we had turned it off by the time he he went off on uh, Bill De Blasio. And look, I've I've railed against Bill De Blasio quite a bit, but he's maybe not looking as bad. In contrast to this new guy, also I don't think Andy Cohen was attacking Bill De Blasio like from the left. As a as a wealthy person, I, is, he, is Andy Cohen still mad about uh, the him not plowing the Upper East Side first in that first snowstorm in his first term? What's the, what's Andy Cohen's actual beef with Bill De Blasio? Went out to uh, the, the ocean, uh, both at my parents' house and then in, in Long Island for um, some New Year's festivities, Just my wife and I, and I found that there's these uh, sea ducks. I never knew that there were ducks that f- frequent the sea and dive in the, in the ocean together in these big packs. I think they're called scoters. anybody know about scoters? Just putting out an APB on scoters. If anybody wants to talk sea ducks, I'm your man. I do that in March. Uh, in March, with me on the show. And I have one more um, thing, and then and then uh, Colette, if you're listening, you can call in after after this. <laughs> you guys know about succession hats. So there's this show. Succession on HBO. It's a it's a fun, you know, light, you know, light fare. Um, I'm pretty obsessed with the show. It's about the this family. It's like King Lear meets, meets Fox News. But there's these uh, these like baseball hats that this guy Kendall on the show wears, and they're just these like nondescript. Baseball hats, but supposedly they're like designer baseball hats. Um, they're like four hundred, five hundred dollars. They just look like something you'd get at like a uh, LL Bean. Succession hats. That might be the name of this show. No, we could, it has to be World War Two food related. But if anybody wants to make a Race to the Bottom, (laughs) Uh, Succession Hat, Branded, Um, Let's Go Brandon style, Um, (laughs) let me know. We got a phone call. Race to the bottom. Hey. Oh my goodness. Is this, is this Colette?
3: This is Colette.
2: Oh man. What's up? How's it going?
3: It's going well. It's going well. It's cold. Yeah. But I'm doing well.
2: <laughs> Happy New Year.
3: Happy New Year.
2: The, uh, supposedly you can't s- say that for very much longer.
3: What's the time limit on that? I never knew.
2: Um,
3: is it like the first time you see a person in the new year? Or does that's kind of
2: yeah. That's kind of what I'm I'm thinking. Um, but even still, like if I didn't see somebody until March, I'm not going to say Happy New Year to them. Then
3: yeah, that's fair. But we haven't seen each other yet. Yeah, we haven't. On-
2: <laughs> yeah. So so this yeah. is this is an appropriate Happy New Year. Um, Colette, do do you know anything about uh, succession hats?
3: I don't actually. Cineball, since I've never seen succession,
2: uh huh. Did you know that? <laughs> did you know that there are these uh, like designer, really nondescript baseball caps that that people wear that uh, are the new status symbol?
3: I mean, I I heard about it for the first time a few moments ago when you mentioned it. Yeah, that was it.
2: Yeah. I'm putting that on people's radar. There you go. We're gonna make a um, race to the bottom version, but it, you, but they don't even have like insignias on them. You just have to be in the know.
3: If it's like a really subtle. Yeah. Sign. You're mm-hmm. a
2: fan. Yeah, conspicuous okay. consumption. You ever hear that term? Mm-hmm.
3: I have. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's what. That's what it's like. So. Colette, w- w- did you hear my preface? That we're we're just gonna get this topic started. It's it's a wide. Uh, we're gonna cast a wide net on World War II, and and how it changed food. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah,
3: there's
2: a lot. You've been doing some research.
3: I've been doing some research, and I was surprised at how many books have been written on
2: this. <laughs> All right. So here here's my thinking uh, um, just to kind of give us some parameters here in in my estimation there's kind of three topic three subtopics in how World War two changed food okay, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, um, first is rationing right mm-hmm. that's the first thing that uh, if I'm sure in, in your research and in mine a lot of the stuff that comes up is about rationing during the war and how that affected uh, people and their palates and everything, right? Yeah. Second is kind of moving out of the war, uh, pro- like processed foods, like how, how processed foods really came to the forefront. I think that we had the... Um, the... We kind of used industrialization. Basically, the military industrial complex was created during World War II. To to as when we kind of suddenly entered the war after Pearl Harbor, we need to we needed to crank up the machines to make a bunch of munitions, right? And then yeah, and then that. So then we had all this infrastructure to do that. And then they're like, "What are we going to do with all this?" And they were like, "Well, we could make Twinkies and stuff like that," right?
3: Yeah, well, one of the things I actually found was that, like, Cheetos, mm-hmm. uh, like, that orange dust on Cheetos, that actually came, they had, like, a dehydrated cheese, they called it jungle cheese, that was invented by government scientists in 1943 because they found that, like, water was one of the things that made stuff spoil. And, yeah, that ended up going on to Cheetos. So it was, like, this kind of, like, snackification of the yes. American diet. Yes. Yeah.
2: And, you know... Um. Yeah. So people were were doing a lot of that, and that's a huge subtopic. And then the the one that I'm, had am finding the least about, but I'm most interested, is how it changed how, and it's kind of a pet theory of mine. I haven't really, but I feel like it must be true that it it widened people's palates because you had all these uh, men who had gone and had been stationed in different countries and had uh, new cuisine. Like if they were stationed in France or Italy or, you know, wherever, and, and then they were like, Hey, there's this thing, pizza. Right.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and my, <laughs> my mom tells this story of, of how they, after the war they would get this chef Boyardee pizza that would be like in a can, um, And you would, it was kind of, uh, it was, it sounds like it was almost, you know how like the, there's like the tuna fish snack uh, box that has the crackers and everything you need to make a little tuna fish snack? Yeah. It sounded like it was like that, but for pizza. And they would put, um, the pepperoni hadn't arrived yet, so they put uh, chopped up hot dogs on their their pizza.
3: Yep, and like.
2: Ketchup instead of tomato
3: sauce.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the three um, uh, subcategories, as I see it: rationing processed foods, and then this this theory of of like the expanded palate based on on people's wider world of experience. Do you do you? What do you think about those categories?
3: I think those categories. I think that's great. I think that's excellent. I would, I mean, I still, similarly, I think I didn't find as much about the expanded palate. That's like an ongoing research thing. I think a lot of the countries that they were fighting in were also rationing food.
0: True, true.
3: So that was sort of, there were more limited options in those places, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. I found some stuff on just expanded palate in, but like from stuff that was going on in the U.S., Mm as well um like like there was a push to eat more um organ meat (laughs) Mm -hmm. so basically they had like they were shipping over all of this pork and beef to feed the soldiers yeah and um the u.s government actually got margaret mead who is like a famous anthropologist um and they were trying to make Like hearts, livers, and kidneys, a mainstream part of American dining before it had been sort of considered a staple for like poorer people. Yeah, but it was something that the soldiers didn't want, and so they were like, "Let's have people eat (laughs) these since they can't get meat."
2: Yeah, yeah. And
3: um, they called them variety meats, and they would have like variety cooking classes, and they had cookbooks that told people how to make like hearts filled with stuffing and how to prepare kidneys for meat and vegetable soup. I don't know. My mom always used to make our stuffing at Thanksgiving with the, um, heart and the liver of the Turkey kind of like chopped up and put in there. I uh-huh. loved it.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. That, I didn't realize that something <laughs> sort of was a trend that came out of world war two.
2: Yeah. That, um, <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> I, I, I saw stuff where it was lo- the, um, and I actually put this on the um promotional uh image uh for for this show on the socials that there was the one of the the kind of propaganda posters was um encouraging to get the most out of your onions uh and like be, because because uh there you know supplies were limited i guess onions were a plentiful way to kind of make your meals uh give it some pizzazz so um they're yeah. really pushing the onion pretty hard
3: <laughs> i was really surprised i didn't realize they had like these hardcore propaganda style cookbooks like they had i found one that was called like the authentic victory cookbook and they had tested recipes for delicious dishes in wartime with like vitamins and nutritional values and there's like a spoon
2: and a fork in the shape of a V for victory <laughs> on the front. <laughs> I want that. I'm, yeah. I'm going to put that on my, my wish list. All um, right. Now I know what to do
3: for a gift. <laughs> <next
2: time. laughs> um, and I, I saw that, speaking of, of rations and kind of making a, a lot out of a little, um, peanut butter and jelly uh, was created during this time because um, they found... Uh, they would send the soldiers this um, really dry uh, peanut butter, and the soldiers hated it. And it would kind of like rip through the bread uh, as you tried to spread it. But then they realized that you could throw some some jelly up on there and uh, kind of you know uh, give Make it s- more delicious. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, which. Yeah.
3: No. They. So. Like. What I was finding was basically they had sort of this idea that like food will win the war and like changing diets. A lot of it started in the, well, I mean, it's been going on like throughout all history, like my history (laughs) teacher nerd thing coming up, basically like Uh that's how to feed an army on the battlefield. Like the Mongolians had like created jerky and then that's still something that they use. as like dry dehydrated meat Uh to feed people. Um, And during World War One, actually, like Herbert Hoover, who was president during the Great Depression, he was the he was the head of the U.S. Food Administration during World War One, and he had he created the slogan "Food will win the war." And then, um, so this idea that like public health and nutrition were actually considered matters of national security. And um, in the 40s, the U.S. like nutrition as a field and nutritionists was like mm-hmm. sort of a brand new thing. And in the 40s, um, the U.S. interest in nutrition research became a serious thing because it needed healthy recruits to send off to fight in World War II. And they found that the male population was actually like physically weakened because they'd suffered years of malnutrition during the Great Depression. And actually like 11% of the guys were rejected because of nutrition related to wow. Yeah, so it's like, okay, like, going into, like, my Marvel nerddom, but, like, 11% of the guys rocking up to enlist were basically rejected, like, Steve Rogers, like, Captain America kind of thing, and the U.S. government wants to find a way to turn these undernourished guys into Captain America, minus the super serum, although they totally would have been into that if that was actually a thing. (laughs) And um, created this thing called the Committee on Food Habits, and that did, like, an in-depth study of America's eating habits and they found that like, women were primarily cooking the meals by surprise, surprise. They didn't actually do a lot of research into women and like their bodies and like how they weren't considered important, like how to nurse or study them. That was about guys mostly. And um, so that's when these propaganda cookbooks came out. And this was like the idea of like teach women how to cook nutrient rich foods to prepare their husbands and sons to war. Um, and Like, even canning, like, that came about previously, like, canning your foods, They had all these guides to home canning that came out for women. And this has to do with your sort of, your rationing one. And that was actually a Napoleon thing. That was, like, there was a French government competition to help feed Napoleon's army, and they came up with canning. But anyway, that becomes a thing. And they came up with this idea during World War II of these, like, recommended dietary allowances. And that's the first time, talking about how it's affected us today, that's the first time that we really started like counting calories and like looking at vitamins and proteins that you need to stay healthy. So all of those little markers on your food where it's like, this is is Uh the vitamins that food that also sort of starts out at that time. And then you get like all of these sort of stabilization technologies. So like, how do you keep sliced bread and juice and grocery stores from going off and um, that's with the peanut butter that you were mentioning, like part of that comes from like, how do we keep this stuff fresh for longer? Yeah. And, um, they were designing stuff that was like optimized for like portability, convenience, shelf life. Um, so like instant coffee comes down to that. Like, um, so like we were talking about like ketos and that like dust, they have like this mm-hmm. jungle cheese that was sort of dehydrated at the time. They tried to do research into non-melting chocolate. That was, like, <laughs> a big thing. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
3: so that's, like, M&M's coming out of that. Um, yeah, they came up with, like, Power Bars. Um, that was, a, like, an emergency ration. It was a fortified meal replacement that was deliberately designed to taste less good so that soldiers wouldn't be oh. tempted to eat it if they repeated it.
2: I I see, so, yeah, yeah. That's yes.
3: Dave, that's like a whole aisle in grocery store mm-hmm. as well. These like granola bars and sort of like dehydrated snacks, basically.
2: Kudos, uh, yeah. Are were you were you familiar with the the kudos, um, uh, the snack snack bar?
3: Kudos bar? Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah, that it was th- super. If you got a kudos bar
2: in your lunchbox. My mom really did that. <laughs> we
3: can, th- we can, Dad sometimes
2: chocolate chip ones. <laughs> uh, well, there was nutty fudge, chocolate chip, and peanut butter. Kudos, I love you more than any other. Electrifying, <laughs> granola fying which is, I, I, that's my favorite um coinage in that song. Um, Colette. I'm going to play a little bit of a song real quick. I have to fix something in the studio, and and we're going to, and I, I, we also got, I got to check my um, text because people are texting me all these uh, cool ideas for us to talk about too. So uh, bear with me for like one minute, all right? All right. All right, here we go. Bremer and McCoy interlude there. Colette, did you hear what I was saying about? And this is a sidebar. Um, did, about you, ever meet anybody from Scandinavia who like gives you the business about how they don't have the same problems in their country that we have in the United States?
3: I mean, yes, but I mean, I think those <laughs> conversations we've mostly talked about like healthcare and education.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, it's less about diet,
2: but Yeah. Well, it's good for them that they have these tiny little countries where or they can like have things just so. But uh, <laughs> Um yeah, so uh friend of the show Dave is is uh sending us stuff about how uh cheese, post-war cheese, um and how the government has pushed cheese. We eat three times as much cheese as in 1970, and the government's been pushing it. You, you see yeah,
3: it? Yeah, I'm looking at those texts at the same time, but it's also, it's like, it's this processed American cheese.
2: Mm-hmm. Government so, cheese.
3: Sort of development of those, like, cheese slices by the 50s. A lot of... Which I'm not a huge fan of, I'm not going to lie, I probably will... Offend a lot of people, but
2: I don't love the craft cheese slices. Yeah, they're good to give uh, dogs uh, their medicine in. Um, if you if you have to good give you no, know. if you have to <laughs> give your dog a medicine uh, like a a pill, you just stick yeah. stick it in some uh, in some craft singles, American cheese, and and they'll they'll gobble it right up. That's what we used to do with our dog.
3: Well, there you go.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and then a lot of rap songs they talk about being on government cheese. Um, that's it, it. Was a big like, um, you know, uh, like one of the things that you could get from Wick was certain types of cheese, where you like get these huge blocks of of cheese. But um, yeah, so and something I wanted to pick up on from what you're you were saying in this. Um, is something that has always felt kind of counterintuitive, but I, I want to know what you have to think about it from from studying yeah. history, is it seems like a lot of um, innovations and a lot of, like, cultural changes, the, the spread of language um, and innovation and culture comes from war, right? hmm Like... Um, Language spreads through war, um, new, you know, it's it's right up there with trade, maybe even more so. That we, um, that like, uh, like innovation and cross pollination happens, like by the barrel of a gun, right?
3: Yeah. Which is you know you don't want to admit it, but no, it plays it plays a huge huge role. I mean, a lot of history is driven by, like, financial incentives or power plays, and a lot of that comes out in warfare. Um, We're looking at, like, the Cold War right now with my seniors, and a lot of um, the sort of the creation of the, the third world being, like, everything sort of outside of the two major superpowers, the U.S. Mm -hmm.
0: So
3: this idea of the third world, outside of the U.S. and the U.S.S.R., but sort of collaboration between a lot of those countries. So, like, a lot of China's influence in Africa, which is now, like, there's a lot of major trade partnerships there, starts sort of during this Cold War period, and a lot of that is resistance to colonization and um, what was this threat of American imperialism um and it like bonds a bunch of these countries together
0: Mm
3: -hmm. um in the fight against a lot of the colonial powers and everything like that and you get they get a lot of changed international relations and then that kind of this idea of like um you have a difference between like soft power and hard power. And so the hard power is actually like using the guns to do the fighting and the soft power is sort of convincing people to be on your side through different cultural influences and things like that. But both are used throughout warfare or financially helping a country during um, wartime. And yeah, you see a ton of that will influence and you'll get lots of influence with different countries and um, cross-cultural exchanges you get, like, more international organizations that are spreading their ideas. But, yeah, war plays a huge, huge role in that. And, again, like, we're seeing here with the food, it's sort of, it's um, shaping people's diets. And that goes back to what you were saying. And I want to do some more research on and this idea of, like, what was the expand, like, the idea of expanded palate. Because mm-hmm. they would have been exposed to new foods. You see that a lot in, I mean, if you go back in history... Um, like the British going in and colonizing India and then coming back with all of these different foods that become part of the British diet that they sort of got from these different places mm-hmm. that they and colonized that, and fought with, so. And then,
2: and then curry, uh, which is a kind of a creation in itself, the idea of curry, um, mm-hmm. but, um, as like one spice, you know, instead of like um, an amalgamation of, of all these different spices. But, you know, uh, but now cur- like a, a, a nice curry is like the national dish of of London. If you go and or, or of, of England, I mean, if you go and ask someone there like what what's good to have there. That's probably what they're going to suggest. Right. You You lived there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. No, I lived there. Yeah. There was. I lived in, um, when I first moved there, I lived in East London and Brick Lane is like this area that's all Indian restaurants. And it's just a really sort of big hotspot. Like when you, some of the first places that people suggested to go to dinner were in Brick Lane. And the thing is, is that these cuisines are then adapted to the place where they are. So like, even if you eat, you go to a Chinese restaurant in a variety of different countries. I remember like, I had a friend in, uh, college who was originally from China and her family had a Chinese restaurant and she was saying that the menu, they had really adapted it to American taste,
0: mm-hmm. so the
3: spices that they used and the dishes that they served. And then I remember I went to, I was living in Madrid for a while and like the takeout Chinese food there had tons of ham and potatoes in it.
0: Wow. <laughs> it was just
3: like really adapted to the, um, yeah, to to the Spanish palate. Um, So, and actually, well, anyway, yeah, so warfare affecting things and fighting affecting things like ham became part of the, is totally tangent, but hey, run with Mm -hmm. (laughs) it. The ham in Spain becoming such a huge part of their diet, um, there's a lot of speculation that it came out of the Spanish Inquisition during that time because they were basically persecuting and killing anyone who was Jewish or Muslim and, Mm Both religions um, are, I mean, not everyone who practices them practices this, but there's like a taboo against eating pork. Um, and so, if you were, you could be arrested in a Spanish inquisition just for eating pork. And so, a lot of restaurants started putting like ham legs, like basically pig legs, all over the outside of their restaurants. So if you go to Spain, you'll sometimes see
0: mm-hmm.
3: like there's a place called Museo de Jamon, and this was like all ham legs. like. <laughs> on all of the walls and the idea was like inquisitors you do not need to come in here because that was bad <laughs> wow to have inquisitors in the shop because like clearly no muslims or jews would come into our shop because it's decorated with ham um fascinating. and then that became a bigger thing but anyway yeah so again like how these contexts influence diet that's not as much the like cross-cultural thing but again how that can change what yeah. we eat
2: well, you know, yeah. just to pick up on on the Chinese uh uh food uh, changing in, in different uh countries, there's a great documentary called Searching for General Cao. Um Okay. It's which is about tra- basically trying to find the derivation of of General Cao. It's not that dish. It's not a real general and the dish is not uh, you know, it was created in the United States and through through this search that in the documentary it gets into all that stuff about the uh the kind of creation of of American Chinese food and chop suey and all these things like that um but then in in London when I was there if you, when you go out for chinese um my experience was that it's just taken for granted that you're going to get a um a duck um shredded up and and have it like um with the the pancakes and the the hoisin and the scallions like that is like the um like chinese uh experience then you might get a few other things
3: there you go yeah
2: um and you also mentioned the canning thing um yeah and and so yeah, so th- it's like um how am I going to tie this together? So you have like rationing and then you have after the war you have the baby boom and you have um you know the United States is is on a high, right? And and is f- f- uh experiencing superpower status for the for its for the first time really. Um right. and and you have talk about like conspicuous consumption you just have this like this um over you know abundance of of food and choices right um and but it's just really interesting how that um how that manifests itself and i, I like a lot of what shaped my thinking about this was i was really interested in getting um had i had my mom put together a lot of my grandmother's recipes um and a a lot of them like basically all of them included like a a can of of, uh campbell's soup in some form like a lot of uh you know like as part of the this recipe you need to pour in like a a can of like cream of mushroom right or a can of cream um And I think Campbell's was just like canned soup was, it felt like about 15 or 20% of the diet, um, you know, for decades.
3: It played a huge role, yeah. I'm actually like, I want to sort of look up this history of Campbell's soup. I'm trying to find it. I mean, it starts, it looks like it started in like the 1860s, but I'm like going forward to, let's see. Go forward to 1941. Yeah, that was 1941. They opened up some test kitchens,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and they had. Um, this is from the Campbell Soup like website. This is their own thing. <laughs> they said they have kitchens that are a center of soup information, and they did a huge thing. They had professionally trained home economists who were developing recipes using condensed soups,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: so that's probably a lot of the recipes that you're talking about um, that sort of came out of, um, yeah, World War II.
2: Well, I think, Colette, we just scratched, scratched the surface here. Um, I think this is going to be an ongoing uh, project this year on Race to the Bottom, and thank you for for getting uh, the ball rolling. Uh, a lot of really fascinating uh, stuff has already un- been unearthed, um, and I always appreciate you coming on the show, as do our listeners whenever you're on, or your last episode, it was just, uh, the the numbers went through the roof, so thanks for being here.
3: <laughs> My pleasure. I, it's fun, and this was really fun to research, so thanks for coming up with this topic. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Or well, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying
2: yeah. Yeah, it's it's not over. This is just part one of how World War Two changed food. And um thanks, Colette, for being a part of it.
3: Of course, my pleasure.
2: All right. Talk to you soon.
3: Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
2: There we go. How about that? If you're listening to the program on your uh computer, you can download the app for your Android or your iPhone or your BlackBerry, or your Samsung Galaxy. Uh, it's free, and it works really well. Uh, you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org if you and hit the green donate button if you'd like to uh, show your appreciation and, and help this uh, listener community-supported radio um, do its thing, and you can also sign up for the newsletter. We only write you once a month, and you can hear about all the amazing things going on at the station. I'm going to close out with um, some Joni Mitchell, off of Hijera. This is Amelia. I'll talk to you with uh, John Field next week. Maybe we're going to try to do do a, a deep dive on on Eric Adams, and and we might listen to. Uh, I think we want to do listen to this new album from The Weekend. Um, so I'll talk to you then. All right, peace. Mm-hmm.
1: Place, leaving six white vapor trails across the bleak terrain. It was the hexagram of the heavens, it was the strings of my guitar. Amelia, it was just a false alarm.